Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk and, and Merry Christmas Eve. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So throughout the month of December, as we have celebrated this bright, shiny season of Advent, we've talked about our favorite Advent hymns and carols and a little bit of their history and a little bit of why we like them. Well, today is Christmas Eve! Hooray! Woo! Happy Christmas Eve. So we are going to continue talking about hymns, but now we are joyfully setting aside our Advent hymns and talking about Christmas carols. And of course, one of the world's favorite Christmas carols happens to be one that turned 200 years old last year on Christmas Eve, the also famous Silent Night, which is a hymn that almost didn't happen if it weren't for a broken organ. So a little bit of history behind this hymn, if you've not heard this story before, this is a good Lutheran hymn that comes out of the Austrian Alps um, at St. Nicholas Church in Obendorf, um, where Father Joseph Moore was preparing for his midnight service and realized that his organ was broken. Dun, oh, dun, dun! But that, oh. that dun, dun, dun sound was not on the organ. No. <laughs> no. And you know, we, you can't have Christmas Eve without music. No. And so... There would be mutinies. There, there would be mutinies. And so he decided, because his organ was broken, to write a tune on that night. And so he wrote the words that are now famously known as Silent Night. But he had to come up with music somehow. I mean, again, you can't have Christmas Eve without some sort of music. And so he gave the music to his organist, Franz Gruber, who happened to also be a guitar player, who was able to put together a tune to these words. And now we have the also famous Silent Night. I think my favorite part about this story is that it's like the day of. Yeah. And the pastors are like, here's this poem that I just <clears throat> wrote. Can you set a tune to it? And the uh, organist had to be all like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll get right <laughs> on. Right, <laughs> right, right. And then, like, honestly, the, the writing of the poem, as impressive as it is, like, this is a pretty simple, short poem uh, mm-hmm. that, like, that's got to be relatively easy to find rhymes for. But, like, now compose a melody to this thing I already wrote, and there's no ability to change the words. You've got to make a melody that works with this. And it's got to be instantly singable, and it's got to be something you can also write guitar music for. Like, like extra, extra cheers for the organist organist slash guitar player yeah. Franz Gruber. You have like three hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. And there's no electricity and you don't have a computer to save your previous edits on or you don't have uh, music software. It's just you're scratching this out on paper by candlelight right now. Yeah, that, that's impressive. Um, so um, maybe maybe we could uh, spend a moment also talking about the, the text of the hymn itself. We, we mm-hmm. sing it in English, obviously, um, and let's assume that most of our English translations are roughly close to what the German would have been maybe by the time you get all three verses. There's some, you know, sometimes horse trading between verses when you translate. Um, but but uh, would, you, would you give to us some of the, the uh, lines from the, the hymn itself? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Verse 2, silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glorious streams from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing alleluia, Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born. And the the version I have here has four verses, so I'll um, do all four of them because you mentioned three. 
Uh, Silent night, holy night, wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels, let us sing Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord of thy birth. Jesus, Lord of thy birth. So, I mean, there are words that chances are pretty familiar to a lot of us, although I will be honest, the Wondrous Star verse is not one that is in the hymnal that I regularly use, so that's a delightful, refreshing, oh yeah, huh, that's cool, uh, for me. <clears throat> um, there is something that has the feel almost of a lullaby to the, mm-hmm. the text, which, I mean, it sort of fits the, the moment, I guess, fits both the idea that there's a sleeping baby in the story itself, theoretically, um, and that we're often used to picturing singing this with lights dimmed and candles at some point mm-hmm. in the Christmas Eve service. That's how it's come to be used. And that maybe seems appropriate given that 200 years ago uh, when this was first written, yeah, not necessarily electric light. You're talking about candles and lanterns and things like that. Um, so there's something that, that feels calm uh, about that, so that even the language uh, is, is calm in the, in the poem itself. Um, but I guess I wonder, and I don't, I'm not looking to wreck anybody's picture of the Christmas story <laughs> or of this carol, <clears throat> but I guess um, there, there are parts where, I guess I would say, it's helpful for us to, to set apart for a moment that like in the in the course of a Christmas carol or a hymn, you can imagine that there's radiant beams of light streaming from Jesus' face, but that's not actually the way the the biblical story goes, right? That there's nothing about biblical uh, account of Jesus' birth that suggests he glowed, um, and I almost feel like there's something even more beautiful about saying like the 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 event that this song is about is about what looks and is a completely ordinary human birth. I mean, a first century birth, which means not in a hospital and no medication and nobody wearing scrubs or anything like that, but that there is something absolutely ordinary both about the birth and about the baby who was born, that to look at him, nobody would be able to tell that he's special. Um, like, that seems to me like an important piece of when the angels do show up in the story and they say to the shepherds, here's how you'll know this is the child. They don't say, he'll be the glowing baby. Uh, that would be a, <laughs> a tip-off. Go to the one where radiant beams are streaming from his face. Instead, they say, look for a baby laid in a food drop. That's a little bit unlikely. And he's wrapped in bands of cloth because he's brand new, just born today. They've swallowed him, but like that's the sign. Not go look for the glowing baby, or look where there's the you know like the the there's a hole in the thatched roof and the beam of moonlight is coming right down. Like no, he's an ordinary baby, um, and that's part of what I think is is really ultimately beautiful about the story of Jesus' birth. And maybe in poetry we are allowed to sort of heighten things a little bit and suggest things like radiant beams from his face, or like <laughs> away in a manger sings no crying he makes, or something. Well, no, probably baby Jesus did cry because that's what babies do when they're born. That's how you know they're. Okay. Um, or even the fact that it's a silent night. Right, like, right, right. Like, <laughs> chances are, in this busy, crowded <laughs> town of Bethlehem where everybody has come back, it's bustling and busy everywhere. In the underground shed where they keep the animals for the night, it's noisy everywhere there. And, like, there's no part of this scene that really would have been quiet till maybe everybody just from sheer exhaustion yes. falls asleep. That's also why I kind of like the idea of this song being a lullaby. Yeah. Because as I have a small infant at home, and so I, you know, can hear that end of the first verse of sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace, as like a pleading, a begging of like, oh my gosh, you're still crying. Please just go to sleep. I would like to sleep. Mm -hmm. I think that cow over there would like to sleep. Please just go to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. The, I've I've always kind of heard the the sleep in heavenly peace line almost as like 
forgive me, this is like the children's book, like, voice in the back of my head, hearing it like Good, Na- Good Night Moon, sort of like, it's like to everybody in that whole scene. So it's not just sung to Jesus, but this is like, Mary, you can sleep too. This whole thing is in God's hands now. Joseph, you can sleep too. That like, in a, in a sense, there comes a point where from sheer exhaustion, everybody gets to sleep. And yeah, the baby has to sleep before anybody else can. But at some point, everybody was like, oh my goodness, I'm just so bone weary and tired. And finally they could sleep. That I, I, in that sense, like I, I don't, I don't mean to, to pick a fight about the lyrics of this hymn text, but to say like, you can do things in poetry mm-hmm. that everybody knows. Nobody actually thinks that baby Jesus glowed. You can do that for the sake of the the, the poetic experience. Um, but it's maybe worth saying that when the baby is born, he's a normal, regular, flesh and blood baby who doesn't doesn't emit light. <laughs> so I grew up with the four verses. Our hymnal has all four of them, and. Um, Something I like about that verse that you're unfamiliar with, Steve, is that um, sing hallelujahs to our king. And the idea that recognizing that even at his birth, sure. Christ is king. Sure. Because so often we, you know, we associate, I mean, we know Christ is king, but we associate that with, you know, his second coming or even his adult life and his ministry. No, he was a king from the day he was born. Just like any other, you know, in the royal succession, you know, you're a prince the day you're born. To a king and queen. He's a king from the day he's born. And that's something that, you know, I don't think comes out enough in some of our Christmas hymns because we're so focused on Jesus being a baby and being mm. cute and adorable. Right. There's that tension in Christmas hymns of, like, over, like, sentimentalizing mm-hmm. it's a cute baby and missing the idea of lordship. And the, the, the last verse does it well. Jesus, Lord, at your birth. Jesus, mm-hmm. Lord, at your birth. There's, there's, it's, it's clearly there in this hymn text. And, yeah, sometimes other, other Christmas carols skew one side or the other and sort of miss the... The holding those together, that this is a fragile human baby and at the same time Lord of the universe. And then what that says for, you know, towards Herod and towards Caesar and, <clears throat> and all, you know, all the rulers that are around in this time era that, you know, and that's why Herod gets so scared when the mm-hmm. wise men come and tell him a, a king has been born. He's like, what? Hold on. Time out here. I, I'm the king. Right. Like, I didn't have a son. Like, I, you right. know, I've killed all my kids so they don't take them over my throne. What's going on? Who is this new king? Right. Um, and the fact that somebody who is in power, who is an adult, is terrified of an infant, mm-hmm. recognizes that, you know, this infant has power when all he can do is cry. Right, right, right. And I, I mean, I think, too, like, there are the seeds in that idea of what I think is a, is a bigger piece of the whole of, of Christian theology, that the kind of power Jesus wields is a really different kind of power, mm-hmm. too. That we're not being ironic when we say Jesus is Lord at his birth or that Jesus has a power that Herod doesn't understand even though he's a fragile baby and we don't mean to say he's not really a fragile baby he's secretly carrying firepower under his wing but that Jesus kind of power is completely different from Herod's and that it is ultimately the power of suffering love it is the power of um of self-giving it is the power that is that is shown in what looks weak and forgettable and and um because of that, it's it's right to say Jesus is Lord at his birth, even though he doesn't have a, a an army or a throne or anything like that. Yeah, there's another piece of the story of Silent Night that mm-hmm. I I think we'd be remiss to forget talking about. Um, and you said the hymn is 200 years old, 201 now. Yeah. Um, and just before this hymn turned 100, uh, it was about 95 years old. So well-known enough and old enough that it had start to spread across uh, different uh, nations across Europe. Um, that in the Christmas of 1914, this carol was a part of what is sometimes called the Christmas Truce uh, in World War I. Um, 
And so I, I'm, I'm only remembering sort of sketches of how the history works, but the war had been going on since August of that year, and nobody knew yet how terrible it was going to get. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was bad by, by winter of 1914, and they were, they were in, uh, in, engaged in trench warfare. Uh, so they were just sort of that, that stalemate where just like you're in that sort of no man's land, that's what they called it, you know, between the, the, the trenches. Um, and on Christmas... Eve of 1914, you've got uh, English and Allied forces in one set of trenches, 100 yards off, you've got German uh, forces in their trenches, and nobody's moved an inch back and forth, they're just sort of stuck there, you know, uh, and they have called a temporary uh, cease to the fighting, at least in the evening, and as the story goes, the English look over the tops of their trenches, and they see lights off in the distance, and at first they're not sure if this is a trap or a trick or what it is, and it's revealed that, in fact, there are Christmas trees, that the Germans have set up Christmas trees at the top of their trenches at the edges and then off in the distance they hear the Germans singing uh, Silent Night in, in the German Stille Nacht uh, and the, Ger- the English don't know the German words but they recognize the, the tune and so as the story goes when the Germans are done singing their version of the English, who are used to returning fire, and now return by singing back at them but in English, the same song and after that the story goes uh, soldiers crossed into that no-man's land and, like, greeted each other and opened up bottles that they happened to have and made merry right in the midst of this battlefield that lasts for a day. And then they resumed killing each other two days later. There's something beautiful but also really unnerving to me about a story like that but it's it's one of those like that that this this him now forever has that image mm-hmm. as part of its history and story too i think i've also heard that during that day of truce that they played football yeah mm-hmm. in no man's land mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i i guess the, the other thing that i think is again both beautiful and terrible to me is that i i i I am impressed or amazed or delighted that for a day there could be this cessation of hostilities. But to me, it also says something about the utter arbitrariness of that war. Um, that, like, these were people who, during a day, they could say, we can embrace you as friends and brothers, and we were both in this together, and could engage with each other as fellow human beings. And then... When the calendar turns a day, it stops being Christmas Day, and now we're back to killing each other again. Like that, and and I mean, it, it seems like maybe the world had to deal with the recognition after that war of like this really wasn't about good versus evil exactly. This is we were fighting over territory and alliances, and everybody was terrible, and we started doing terrible things to each other because technology made meant we could gas each other and run tanks over each other now. But there was something that was utterly horrible about that. Um, and, that, and yet, there's this beautiful day where in the midst of it all, we're not going to kill each other for a day. Um, but it, it just seems so, so odd uh, to me now, especially because when you're in the midst of a war, it is so tempting always to see it framed as whatever side you're on is good and whatever side the other side is is evil. And we could never make peace. We could never stop fighting for a day. Um, and here it happened. And there's this recognition of the person on the other side is not really my enemy. Um, even though two days from now we'll all be swearing up and down that they're the enemy and we must destroy them. Doesn't that say something, though, about what Christmas is and the power of what happened at that first Christmas? Which, mm-hmm. I mean, we know, as theologians, as pastors, it wasn't in December. There's nothing magical about the day, July, or de- December 25th, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, but just the idea... Of 
who came to Earth that day. Mm-hmm. You know, the Prince of Peace was able to stop what became known as World War One. Mm-hmm. You know, the the war to end all wars. Right. Um, unfortunately, we never learned from that, and we yeah. had World War Two, yeah. yeah. uh, and did not have a truce in World War Two like we did in yeah. World War One. But I think that you know, I get what you're saying—the arbitrariness of like, you know, okay, we can stop fighting, but then the next day we're enemies again, and we yeah. hate each other, and we're going to start killing each other again. But the power of Christmas Day and, and everything Christmas Day stands for, the power of music, I think, even more so. <clears throat> um, I mean, that's in an era where most of Europe is Christian, and and so that's, I think, why um, part of you know why the fighting stopped because I mean they're they're Christians and so it's Christmas and like you can't. And Pope Benedict the Fifteenth had even uh, made an edict requesting that all nations who were engaged in this war cease hostilities around Christmas. And other than this particular scene, it what it didn't happen. I mean, most mm-hmm. of, everywhere else in the war, the war raged on. Here's one place in the midst of the yeah, war. And where it, it paused. Yeah, it's yeah. just one little. Um, but the power of music, and mm-hmm. you know, when they chose to have that ceasefire, and actually, <clears> you know, live up to the edict that the Pope had put out. But then it's. What pulled them out of the trenches was the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the lights were like, mm, I, don't, I don't know about this, you know, I right. don't know what's going on there. But the power of music, and even music in a different language that's so well known, because like you said, the tune, the tune had been around for almost 100 years. They didn't, you know, the English did not understand German, but they knew the tune. Right, right, right. And in a way, that that was one more way of... <clears throat> I guess focusing on what they held in common, mm-hmm. that even though they spoke different languages and to just speak the words at, uh, across the trench, their voices wouldn't have carried, but also the, the words wouldn't have been understandable. But the, yeah. the, the melody sort of is this reminder of what they held in common. And I think, I think you're right. That's a piece of what made a moment like this happen, that you had the Germans are like, well, it's Christmas for us. We're going to sing Christmas songs. And when the British on the other side realized that, oh, th- this is... These are these are people who are appealing to a day that we are also mm-hmm. celebrating. We, we can we can pause. And you're right. Maybe maybe instead of being so cynical and saying, "Isn't it sad that two days later they're killing each other?" There is something really profoundly beautiful about. For one day, they were both at least able to see a glimpse of. In the end, we aren't like English or German. We're, we we belong to the the kingdom of God. We belong mm-hmm. to the we're followers of Jesus. Um, and maybe it's lamentable that they were enemies, but they on, they had some sense of we 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 belong to Christ or something like that. Again, it's it's sad that two days later, like yeah, we're all Christians, but you're my enemy, and I want to take your land, so I'm going to yeah. kill you again. <laughs> um, but yeah, that maybe what makes that moment happen is this sort of realizing that you know the, the my commanding officers or my country tells me you're my enemy, but really in this biggest picture of all, we belong to this bigger thing, the reign of Christ. Um, and there's something really powerful and beautiful about that. Yeah. And maybe too. I, I don't mean to be <clears throat> all nostalgic or or uh, cynical, but like it seems like recovering that sense of like that there could be rules to war like that seems like that's a lost thing. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe World War Two ended that. Maybe maybe Vietnam ended that. Um, but it seems like there was a time where like both sides in a war could say, all right, we're not going to do this to each other. We're not going to do this to each other. But man, we, we, uh, it seems like we continue to push up against the edges of, well, I know we've all signed the Geneva Conventions, but we're going to dance around what counts as torture and we're going to get as close to that line as we can to you. Yeah. Or what things we're allowed to do or when we'll attack you and we'll use your holy days to catch you off guard. I think about the bombing in Sri Lanka last year at Easter, right? Mm-hmm. That, like there, there was a time when, you know, you want to be respectful even of your enemies. We don't want to kill you on the time that is important, yeah. uh, whether to us 
us or to you or whatever, but... There's a sense of civility in war. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And it I, doesn't <clears throat> sound right into our ears today. Right. But, I mean, again, this was... This was the first world war. I mean, this was a different era. There was never had been a war on this level before. Right. And, and maybe what we were witnessing was like the last hurrah of that kind of civil kind of moment because yeah. it very quickly became, wait, we could just kill so many people if we got all those rules about, you know, treating mm-hmm. each other with respect. We could just torture each other. We could just, you know, and again, in World War II, that sort of taken to a logical extreme yeah. uh, in lots of terrible ways. So there, there's something that is bittersweet, I guess, for me about knowing this story about Silent Night. There was mm-hmm. something beautiful on that night, but also, I guess it always points back at me of... Um, would would each of us be willing, not that we'll find ourselves in trench warfare, but would we be willing to take the risk that even like the first German soldiers in that scene mm-hmm. take of um, daring to be the, the, the one who, who risks peacemaking, even, even if it's just short-lived, even mm-hmm. if for a moment in times of great hostility. And I guess that that's something we're not, we're not used to having been on the Allies side in both world wars, and we're not used to crediting the Germans with doing something good uh, in world wars. But there is something vulnerable that the, the German side did by exposing their position and singing and, and like, you know, they're like, if if you were all out total war, you could have used the, after their lights are, let's shoot them right there, or, you know, call in a bomb strike or something right there. Um, but instead, they, they were willing to be vulnerable in that moment and to give up their possession, their position um, mm-hmm. by singing, yet in the possible hope that they could celebrate the coming of Christ, um, and I, I guess I think in that regard, there may be an example for all of us day by day that there's going to be lots of times we're surrounded by what feels like hostility, mm-hmm. and the temptation is sort of us to dig our heels in and have our own you know trench warfare in, in life, or to be vulnerable and to point to the the reign uh, and the the lordship of Christ in a way that uh, is vulnerable but also makes connection possible. Well, and the vulnerability of the Germans to sing and to light their Christmas trees allowed the English to right. give up their position too. Right. And just like like joy as contagious yeah. as much as anger can be contagious. Right. You know, vulnerability when when one person's willing to be vulnerable, I think it allows other people around them to be like, well, if they can be vulnerable, if they can share kind of what's mm-hmm. going on deep inside of them mm-hmm. as much as it might hurt, mm-hmm. then maybe I can share my story too. Exactly. And, and that continued, right? Because they both emerged from their trenches. Yeah. And how risk-taking is that? Because then you're exposing your entire body right. to be shot at. Right, right. And then at some point, if it had been a trap, yeah, you could have lured the other side mm-hmm. out and then started shooting them. So yeah, there was... Mm-hmm. And they exchange gifts. Right. I mean, you, you don't know what you know the Germans are handing you. You don't know right, the English right, are handing. Right. Yes, yes. All this eat, eat this Christmas apple. Yeah, <laughs> it's not Christmas at all. And the soccer ball could you know, the soccer right. ball could have been something you know that that they played with. But, you know. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I try to be an optimist. <laughs> well, see, I, and I, th- I think that's a, that's a really helpful example. Again, we're getting a little farther afield from the actual text of the hymn, but, but this this moment um, does suggest to me. That that vulnerable power of, I mean, the, the kind of power that a baby Jesus has is the yeah. vulnerability, and that that invites others to let their guard down as well. And that, in a way, that's exactly the kind of power that Jesus has, that Herod has no way of understanding, that Caesar has no way mm-hmm. of understanding. And that, yeah, in a way, that is what we're called to have, not just because it happens to be the Christmas season, but that's what, if you're a follower of Jesus, in a sense, that kind of vulnerable power mm-hmm. that lets down our guard in the and like you say, becomes contagious. That when it becomes safe, or when I take the risk of letting down my guard, that makes it possible for others around to let down their guard in a way that we can practice 
this moments of peace. And again, we can't guarantee they will last forever, but it's worth it even mm-hmm. for those little moments uh, rather than saying, well, it's not even worth trying because it won't last. Maybe, well, that wasn't the intention of Father Moore when he first wrote this hymn, but like... But getting to that idea of that vulnerability of who Jesus is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I I have no doubt he had no idea a hundred yeah. years later that there right. would be this thing called World War One and what his hymn would do in in that little area. But you know, we, yeah, you said we've gotten away from the actual lyrics, but I think the intent behind yeah. him, whether it was intended or not, right. um is we can see that in the lyrics. Right. And and I and maybe in a sense because this has the feel we've talked about of like a lullaby. Like I don't know that it would have worked that you would have had the same moment if it would have been like a really triumphant sounding like a joy uh, to the world. Right, right, right. Yeah. If there'd been some other really sort of loud and boisterous German hymn, it might have sounded mm-hmm. sort of like a bragging boisterous, you know, like we're winning or we're going to outshout you, but like to sing and to sing this this lullaby of a song, it's mm-hmm. clear that this is not a competition. This is a lullaby kind of a thing. Um, and the fact that, my goodness, that even their voices carried a hun- across a hundred yards between trenches singing this song, I mean, that, that this is not one you belt out with, with loudness. You, yeah. you, you sing it with a sort of quiet reverence, you know? Um, it's not a mighty fortress. Right, right, like right. That. Well, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and for that matter, yeah, if, if, these, if these Germans had said, you know, it's Christmas Eve, but we're all Germans, we're going to sing a mighty fortress, uh, that could have <laughs> had a very different feel in that yeah. moment. Um, and yet, instead, that there is this quiet song, there's something really important and powerful about that, that maybe the moment wouldn't have happened at all uh, had a, a, a louder, more boisterous melody been picked for it. Yeah. So we got a lot to be thankful for for a broken organ. <laughs> And maybe in a way, I mean, there's there's something kind of cool about like how accidental the the, the nativity story feels. That like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we're gonna lay him in a food trough because we don't have a separate room for him, and there, so like, there's there's some of that. Well, this is how it happened. We did the best we could with what we had. That like, there's something about the Silent Night story that feels like, yeah, that that's fitting that it starts with a broken organ, mm-hmm. and so they they played it on the guitar because there was no room for them on the organ. Kind of a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that whatever other things are in store for you all as you listen, whether you're uh, listening in on Christmas Eve or in the days following Christmas, we pray that uh, your celebration of the birth of Christ is a joyful one. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, y'all. Talk to you later. Bye.